Blog Talk Radio. another episode of the Gluten-Free Voice. I'm Jules, and I love the subject of today's show. I've done several on gluten-free beer. It's a fantastic topic. I'm happy that we actually have something to talk about anymore. In the dark ages when I was first diagnosed with celiac disease, there was no such thing. So I love doing these types of shows where we can actually talk about new things that are out there, especially something so fun as beer. If you're a beer drinker, you've surely heard of Coors Brewing Company, the brewery founded in Colorado in 1873 by Adolph Coors. The more modern joint venture between Miller and Coors has produced a number of iconic American beer brands, but they have historically all contained gluten, just like everybody else's beers. In fact, um, as an aside, which we can get into later, if um, we had some questions come in about it, if we have time, we'll cover it. Beer as a malted beverage is regulated by the Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau, the TTB here in the United States, and as such, it must be made from both malted barley, for those of you who are gluten-free, you know I'm saying gluten, and hops, and together that makes a malted beverage, and that's the only way it can even be considered a beer for labeling purposes. Um, For gluten-free folks like me, it's been a long, parched road to the few gluten-free beers we now finally have available. So most of us are thrilled and welcome any newcomers into this space. I'm really pleased to have on the show today a representative of that Miller Coors joint venture to talk about how and why Coors actually got into the gluten-free beer business with its new beer called Coors Peak. It's been described as a light to medium-bodied crisp copper lager, and I've tasted it. It's a pretty good description. It's malty with a slight caramel profile offset by subtly spicy hops, and the finish is slightly bitter, crisp, and perfectly balanced. If you're a beer snob, all of these things are going to um, resonate with you and and may even pique your interest in trying this um, beer soon for yourself. It contains 170 calories in every 12-ounce serving. I've gotten some questions on that. How many calories is this beer? Um, So anyway, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Ryan Merrick, a Senior Marketing Manager of Branded Innovation at Miller Coors. And he actually was part of the the Coors Peak team and helped bring Coors Peak to market. He oversees the development of the innovation pipeline and go-to-market strategies as well. So welcome, Ryan, and thank you for helping Coors bring us more gluten-free beer options. Thank you. I, I, I've got to say, thanks for such a great introduction. It, uh, it, 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 it really covers it. So I'm, I'm curious to know what we're going to talk about, but uh, I'm looking forward to having <laughs> a really good conversation uh, about the beer and why we think it's so special. Well, yeah, I could talk about beer a lot. I mean, when I was diagnosed with celiac disease in the 90s, there were no gluten-free beers. And I remember, you know, when I finally realized what gluten was and what it was in, and I realized they said no beer, no pizza, no pasta, no bagels. And I was like, no fun at all. And life ended, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, life ended completely. I was like, well, I guess I'm never going out. And, yeah, it – um. 
it really, you know, it's not it's not that beer is a necessity in life, but it sure does define a lot of experiences for people. I mean, there's nothing like, you know, a cold beer on a hot summer day or, you know, when you're watching football or things like that. So it's just really nice to finally have, you know, I, I've brought back pizza and bread and, and bagels and all those things into my life um, as a gluten-free baker, but to have the gluten-free beer is phenomenal. So what I, I read a lot about the history, and it seems like it's been a process for a while. When did Coors decide, yeah, we're going to embark upon this and, and venture down this road into the gluten-free space? Yeah, so the journey really started about five years ago when our CEO challenged us and, and the brewing team, really, to, to deliver what we believed really hadn't been done before, and that was brewing a great-tasting and naturally gluten-free beer. So... Um, you may know there are some options on, on the market today, um, you know, direct competitors of ours or people in adjacent categories or, or things like ciders and wine. But to your point, beer holds a, a very special place in a lot of people's lives, and it represents a good get-together with friends or family or, or coworkers after work. And so there's a longing to be able to enjoy in that experience again. Um, yeah. And whether it's, yeah, whether it's yourself or, or, you know, a friend of yours, everybody knows somebody who is – challenged with this um, diagnosis nowadays. So really being a brewer, we tend to believe that everybody should be able to enjoy a great tasting beer should they choose. Um, the challenge though was really, we really didn't think that there were any real options out on the marketplace. Uh, consumers, drinkers were either choosing between, you know, what we would call so-called gluten reduced beers or those that didn't yeah. deliver on the familiar taste of what most American palates were looking for. So, you know, there are sorghum-based beers or other alternative grain beers out there, but they don't really deliver against the, the American palate and what we've come to expect in a, a great full-flavored beer in the U.S. here. So really about five years ago is when the journey began, and it was when um, our CEO, like I said, had reached out and challenged one of our brewers, uh, Troy, um, to deliver this beer that was naturally gluten-free and was full-flavored and had a great body to it and was all-around enjoyable. Um, and, you know, over the course of those five years, having tested multiple grains and, and different brewing processes and things along those lines, we find ourselves in February of this year finally having the pleasure of introducing that to the marketplace um, and allowing consumers to start to partake in the enjoyment again. Yeah, you mentioned the brewmaster. I was actually going to ask you about that. So I, I'm sure there's more than one brewmaster, of course, but Troy, is he somebody who's ever had experience in um, gluten-free uh, brews, or was this brand new to him, too, and he had to start from scratch, like the learning curve, or how did that work out? Yeah, so I would say broadly as an industry, it's still very, you know, a young segment within the industry itself. So the amount of familiarity there um, is not as robust as brewing with barley uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I believe, and, and I'll uh, go back and check with Troy, but I believe this was his first challenge to do so. Um, mm -hmm. He hadn't had any experience, but I think he embraced the challenge and he recognized why it hadn't been done before was because it was just that. It was a challenge. You, you know, People were having a hard time delivering against these taste expectations um, and hadn't successfully done so. And and he embraced it, and I think it became really a passion project. So, you know, sometimes we refer to them as these are the bench projects in the brewing industry. You're, you're working in the big kettle and the brew house, um, but then you've got your side project. And this was really his passion project on the side um, that he was able to go and explore on his own time as well. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, and, you know, the, the taste – 
the profile is really interesting on a lot of these other gluten-free beers, especially ones maybe that were the precursors to the the ones that are more popular now on the market. Um, for a long time, you know, I was thrilled to have gluten-free beer options, but I just didn't like any of them. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I'll drink this because it's the only thing that's out there. Um, and and I wonder if that is the sorghum or, or what, what the um, – what the reason for that is, but I've also found a lot of the beers are super, I don't know if floral and fruity is the right way of describing it. They just seem kind of um, more foofy kind of thing, you know, like a, like a girly beer, which, you know, I've, I, I've been known to not actually like that type of beer, and it's nice to have different options again. But to have something that is more of a pure beer lover's beer-tasting beer, you know, um, is kind of a welcome Switch, but I, I'm wondering as you're describing it if if that's the profile that you're seeking was because other beers out there are using different grains and and that is really the problem that has to be covered up with strawberry or with you know some sort of floral something or other that maybe not everybody wants in a beer is that am I describing it well that you know the the I guess the grain the that people are using might be the the root of the problem. Yeah, so for us it's all about balance. And I think you you know, you walk into a, a very interesting territory here and, and grains dictate taste. Uh, you as a baker know that, right? The different flours that yeah. you use uh, create a different output. Um, sorghum is no different, millet is no different, corn is no different than barley, right? So they all they all have a unique profile to them and you know, it's not to say that sorghum is bad, right? Sorghum is satisfying, you know, the desires and and, and, and fulfilling the, the palate um needs of of some drinkers in Africa, right? There are many countries where that is the primary grain, and that's what they've sure. become accustomed to and they look for. But here in the U.S., I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the bulk of our uh, consumption really is in these sessionable, well-balanced beers. And, uh, you know, it's our point of view that using sorghum does cause you to explore um, trying to balance it out in different ways. So whether that be more floral hops or you know, strawberry flavors or otherwise, looking for more robust, complex things because we weren't able previously to deliver against something that was very easy drinking, very well balanced, where the malt character comes through still. Yeah, and and I actually like the fact that it's a lager too. There seems to be an overabundance, if that's even possible at this point, of gluten-free ales. And again, I don't know if that's because of the the nature of the flavor of the underlying grains that that people are gravitating towards the ales more than the lagers. But um, I was happy that at least your first introduction is a lager. Yeah, and, you know, as we as we started developing the beer and we understood, um, you know, which palates we were really trying to appeal to, the lager was very important to us, especially coming from the brand heritage, of course. It is a brand that is known for easy drinking, um, very sessionable, medium medium bodied beers, light if you prefer, you know, the low calorie Coors Light, um, and th- there's certainly plenty of options out there that are more robust in the ale front, but nothing that is uh, kind of your your easy drinking, you know, uh, the I think I've, I've seen on a couple of blogs people call it their all-day beer or their uh, mm. their lawnmower beer or my my football beer or my mm-hmm. pizza in beer beer. Um, it's just an easy drinking, nice, smooth, well-balanced, medium, not overbearing. I can have more than one of them. Enjoyable beer. The, Troy's done a fantastic job with it all around. 
Yeah, that's that's a good description of it. Um, and I, I guess I don't know if I can even ask this question yet. With the, you would know the answer, but do you think that you would start developing another version of it, a light version or another um, flavor profile for another offering, or are you you know just holding steady with one? You know, for now, you know, we believe that we'll we'll kind of test the waters and we'll see how we're doing with the reception of Coors Peak Copper Lager. Um, mm-hmm. So far, the reception has been very favorable. I think uh, everybody who's tried it, you know, as a marketer, I look to things like trial and repeat, and what are the people saying who have tried it, and what does it look like from a statistical standpoint. But the other thing I like to do is just go out and look at the blogs, look at the Facebook posts, and all in all, people are very much enjoying this. As we look potentially in the future, um, there's certainly opportunity for us to explore more beer styles because, again, this is all about, for us, this is about ensuring that as many people as want to have the ability to enjoy beer. So if they find that, hey, I still want a naturally gluten-free beer, but copper lager may not be for my taste profile, we may in the future look to deliver a new beer style that addresses exactly what they're looking for. So certainly um, there is a possibility for further expansion in the future, yeah. Well, if you're um, perusing the blogs and, and reading a lot about um, you know, people's perspectives on this, I'm wondering, since you did choose to go down the rice path as, as opposed to the sorghum or the millet path in terms of the primary grain um, in in the beer, have you gotten any questions or complaints or concerns about um, rice having a high level of arsenic because certainly in the baking area, lots of people are questioning the use of rice, especially in the gluten-free space because of the recent, um, I guess, you know, what we've been learning recently about the levels of, of arsenic in rice. I'm just wondering if you've seen anything about that or if that's even on your radar, if, if people are concerned about that when it comes to beer. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, we have seen it. We've received questions, whether it's from the media or consumers themselves. Um, the good news is uh, this, you know, everything about this beer we, we wanted to build from quality. So the research was done on our supply chain side to ensure that we were procuring only the highest quality rice. So we're actually sourcing our rice from California. Um, and then after uh, sourcing the rice, we're testing it for arsenic, and we are well within and below the uh, government standard thresholds of arsenic. And a lot of that has to do with which parts of the country in which it is yeah. it is grown. And, and California happens to be um, considered one of the gold standards of uh, rice growing. Yeah, it definitely has to do with the areas of the country. Um, but that's interesting that you are testing for arsenic. Um, that would be something that I think folks would really love to know about. Maybe add that to your FAQs on your page because um, – sure. I get a lot of questions about that, and you know, in the in the spaces that I moderate, and people are concerned. But to know from where it's sourced, and that you're actually testing, it's great information. Yeah, and, and to you know ease any other fears, uh, the 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 testing that we have done has come back and has absolutely shown us that in our product we have less arsenic than standard drinking water, right? That would come out of mm. many taps across America. So there should be absolutely no fear around this at all. Again, you know, okay, so for everybody listening, beer is safer than water. <laughs> <laughs> That's your new tagline. Our beer is safer than water. <laughs> I'm sure there are a few people roiling right now, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, historically speaking, alcohol has had quite a valuable place in society in terms of being safer um, than a lot of the drinking water options. Um, Absolutely. So. People, people would argue it got us through the plague. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely, yep. 
and uh, and I've actually I little side note um, my love of beer started when I lived in Malaysia um, as an exchange student and um, the water I could not drink in this in the area that I was in um, I could not drink it reliably and beer was far cheaper than coca-cola and those are the, the options that I had so <laughs> I was like okay well I guess I'll try beer and I was way too young um, in the US to be drinking beer so I came back with a very different um, you know, I guess my my taste buds were very different in terms of what I expected from a beer. And when I came home, I, I wasn't able to drink beer legally anyway. So it was a long time before I, I actually started trying it again. And it was not at all what I remembered from what I had had in Malaysia. But it was safer to drink beer in Malaysia at the time, years and years ago, in the space that I was in. And it was cheaper than Coke. So <laughs> there you have it. Well, now that you're uh, 20, the ripe old age of 21, we're we're happy yeah. that you're enjoying beer again. Yeah, I'm 21 again. Let's just put it that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, all of us in, in our age, in our generation, I guess we we keep saying that over and over again. But yeah, um, all right. Well, so moving on to the gluten issue in beer, and I know we've touched on it a little bit. You said that you wanted to have a naturally uh, gluten-free beer. You didn't want to go the route of gluten reduced or chemically altered. Um, you know, the Brewers Clearax edition to reduce the amount of gluten in the beer um, that comes from the barley. And there are several beers out now that, um, you know, that are doing very, very well in the space that are so-called gluten-reduced beers. And I'm wondering, did you make the decision five years ago, we are going to do a naturally um, gluten-free beer and we're never going to look down that path um, of the barley gluten-reduced beers? Or was that something that came later on in the experiments or seeing public sentiment that has changed over time, I think, a little bit about the gluten-reduced beers. Yeah, so from the onset, we've absolutely been focused on ensuring that this beer was brewed 100% naturally gluten-free. So to your point, there are many, many beers coming online every single day, it feels like, um, that have chosen to use this enzymatic process to, you know, they would argue, reduce the measurable gluten in their beers. And I think the key element there is measurable. And there's a lot of debate around this um, and dialogue in the community as to whether or not the testing is adequate and conclusive and ability to qualify as gluten-free. And in fact, whether it's the TTB or the FDA, the regulators don't even believe that there's a method to quantify gluten in um, malt beverages like a beer. So right. we decided to skip the ambiguity altogether, and, ch- and we chose to brew with naturally gluten-free ingredients from the onset and to isolate our production, to eliminate that fear. Um, And as a matter of fact, we've gone beyond that, right? So it's not just sourcing the ingredients. It's not just producing it. We've we've earned the seal, and we are certified gluten-free by the Gluten Intolerance Group. And, you know, we do the basic and the standard measurement processes of sending it out to an independent lab, and every beer batch before it's shipped out to retail is certified to be gluten-free as well. But the most important thing for us was that our procurement and our brewing process itself was certified to be gluten-free. And that's not something yeah. that a lot of beers on the market can actually lay claim to today. And so we're very, no, very proud about that. No, I was thrilled to see that, um, that you took the extra step of doing that. Because, the, you know, I would say of all the questions that I've gotten um, in anticipation of the show today, primarily people are concerned about the fact that obviously Coors and, and Miller Coors brews plenty of beer that has gluten in it. 
So mm-hmm. what are the you know what are the steps that are being taken to isolate it and and you know even getting into the details of that people still are so much more comfortable when they see that seal from the gluten-free certification organization. Um, it's a recognizable seal. It's a trusted seal. My products are, are certified through them as well. Um, and I think having that just is an added layer of assurance to people that not only are you doing the right things, but you cared enough to you know have someone from the outside come in and look and inspect and make sure um, as an independent observer that you are to assure the population that you're serving with this product. So, you know, we definitely are appreciative of the fact that you took those extra steps. Is is the, the beer itself brewed in a different facility or how is it isolated? What are your processes that you, that you uh, undertake to make sure that um, you are meeting the gig standards, the GFCO standards? Yep. So, you may challenge me to speak to some of the nitty-gritty details of a brewery. Um, unfortunately, I'm probably not the guy to speak to those details, but what I can say is, yes, we do brew other non-gluten-free beers in the same facility, um, though throughout the brewing process we make sure that we're isolating our production. So any given batch is not running um, at the same, you know, there is no overlap in brewing production of our non-gluten-free beers and our gluten-free beers. And all of our brew kettles and any piping associated with them go undergo a rigorous cleaning process themselves to ensure that um, the equipment, as it will be in the brewery, is um, up to the standards of the gig. Okay. And then, of course, the testing is done. Um, it looks like from your website that you do your own, um, you have your own testing that you send out for, but also, of course, in order to comply with GFCO, they do um, random and um, planned testing as well on the product. So I was pleased to see that it's testing to five parts per million or below, which is obviously well below the 20 parts per million standard that the FDA um, has now you know, input and has set as the standard for gluten-free labeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every single batch is tested along the way, whether it's from the initial boil to um, fermentation through filling of the bottle. And then once we've actually fulfilled it or filled the bottles themselves, that's when we're sending the product out to the University of Nebraska who who samples every single batch before we're even allowed to ship it to our distributor partners and ship it to retailers mm-hmm. for um, you know consumers to ultimately purchase. So we're very confident that we've got the right process in place. Um, and, and, again, all of that starts with the selection of the grain, right? There is inherently nothing uh, gluten-filled in this beer because we are starting with gluten-free grains such as brown rice. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you mentioned, you know, shipping it out to your distributor partners, and this was the second most often asked question that I got was, you know, where can I get it and why is it only available in Seattle and Portland? My question would be, how did you select Seattle and Portland? And then um, when is the rest of the country going to be blessed with the opportunity to purchase the product as well? So uh, first question, why Seattle and Portland? Uh, so at the beginning of the conversation I talked about, we wanted to make sure that we were brewing, first and foremost, a great-tasting beer, right? So I think yeah, you may agree with me, it's not enough just to have a gluten-free beer. It should be a good-tasting gluten-free beer, right? Yes, not, absolutely. This, this is a, it's a food. It's a consumable. They're meant to be enjoyed. Um, and, you know, many may argue that uh, Portland and Seattle in particular are, one, they're some of the largest craft markets, uh, so they have more sophisticated um, a pre, or more robust, I should say, appreciation for beer out there. And uh, 
we felt like if we could demonstrate that we were a great tasting beer there, um, we could demonstrate it anywhere because these are, again, some of the, um, uh, so, and in, in some ways, skeptical of big brewers and also uh, skeptical of beer and appreciative of beer in the same right. So we really wanted to win um, with the hardest consumers first. And that's why we chose Seattle and Portland. The reality is, because we've chosen to do this, as you've called it, the right way and isolate our production, right now uh, we do have capacity constraints up in our brewing yeah. facility where we are brewing. Um, so for the foreseeable future, we will be in Seattle and Portland. Um, but, you know, frankly, if there are listeners out there who would like the beer, we'd love to hear about it on Facebook and Twitter and any of our other handles. Um, we'd love to be looking forward, and you never know what the future holds. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, um, did you introduce this with a certain timeline in mind that, you know, we're going to revisit this in um, nine or ten months and see, you know, what the demand is and whether we're going to expand at that point, or is it just going to be something that you look at, you know, over time as production capabilities um, and expansion possibilities present themselves? Yeah, so every day we wake up, you know, uh, my team will attest that I'm always I'm always asking how's it doing, how's it performing, what mm-hmm. are distributors saying, mm-hmm. what are the retailers saying, um, and we're we're pretty pleased with the uh, results so far, uh, both from uh, a consumer feedback via social media or or other channels and and our sales rates as well. We're pretty happy with it, um, but that being said, we will take it one day at a time. Uh, beer distribution in the United States is complex. Uh, managing state-by-state, state, oftentimes county-by-county county laws and considerations. So we'll take it by day-by-day, day day and we'll evaluate it um, as we continue to watch it in market there. Well, I, you may be shocked to learn that one of my readers said that she found the beer in Boise, Idaho. <laughs> So I um I, I don't know how that's possible. Maybe bootleggers. <laughs> it's, it could be developing an uh, an underground market at this point. Um, it'd be a, a cult product because you can only get it in, in Seattle and Portland. But she she swears that she got it in Boise, Idaho. It's the uh, it's it's the Coors Mystique. You know, back in the day, it was only available west of the Mississippi. This this is Seattle, Portland. Well, uh, well, hopefully someday in the near future, she'll be able to reliably buy it in, in Boise or Cincinnati or New York or right. wherever she may be visiting. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let her know. But um, yeah, I know people are really interested in having it be available um, nationwide. So yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later. The the final, I guess, topic I would like like to raise because I am, of course, a gluten free baker, is you have a recipe section on your site, which I was so excited to see because beer is one of my favorite ingredients to bake with. But all of your recipes are meat based. You need some baking recipes on there. We will take that on board. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll even reach out to you and talk about what baking baking recipes you'd like to see, and uh, you can tell us you know how you'd like to even best incorporate our beer into some of your recipes. That'll be wonderful. Well, it's actually um, I have had a wonderful amount of success using gluten free beers in breads, for example, because the carbonation helps to give some lift to the cell structure of the breads. But because beer has such a pronounced flavor, you can make the same base bread recipe and use a different beer each time, and it totally changes the flavor profile of the actual bread. Plus, you know, you can imagine the amazing aroma of um, beer bread baking in the oven. And when I when I do it, it shows. I'm actually baking this weekend in um, 
Minneapolis for a show, and I'm going to try to get my hands on some gluten-free beer. Unfortunately, Coors isn't in Minneapolis yet, but um, I'll be using it and introducing it to people there, and I think that would be a really great way of um, – of you know incorporating it into um, your recipe site as well, starting with things like bread. I actually have a chocolate beer cake too that might be kind of fun with uh, with the Coors Peak in there or beer battered fish. <laughs> we could go down that route, but um, lots of opportunities. I think that would you should uh, explore that. Rest assured, I'm taking vigorous notes right now. Are you? Well, if you type beer into my um, into my website, you'll find a lot of different recipes there that actually use it. So it might give you some even more ideas. Or we could solicit recipes from people. That would be fun. Absolutely. I think, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you know, beer and, beer and food go hand in hand. Perfect compliments. Yeah, beer in food and beer with food. So, you know, they can, um, you could argue that they would, um, they would go both ways and, and maybe even, um, even more fun to to use that way. Well, I I have to tell you, I've really thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, um, and I will be happy to um, report back to my readers, certainly, that, you know, the excitement that is palpable from your team about the fact that you've been able to bring this new product to market, the reasons behind it, you know, what your goals and ambitions are, and certainly um, encourage people to go on to your Facebook page and other places to let you know that they'd like to see it in their markets just to have more options. So I thank you for taking your time today, and also thank uh, the people at Coors for, you know, taking the initiative to go down the path of introducing a gluten-free beer. I think um, it's pretty exciting stuff. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation as well, and and, uh, look forward to our our next recipe update on the website. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will be tuning in for sure to see what what you put up there next, and um, let me know. I'll be happy to share some recipes with you. Great. Thanks, Jules. All right. Take care, and have a great weekend, everybody. Bye.